Last week, my friends, we noticed that nightmares need not linger, that weeping endures but for a night, while joy comes in the morning. There is such a thing as the wreck of a bursting seed. It happens millions of times the world around every spring. Your troubles can be like that wreck, the seed of new life, new fruitfulness. We mentioned that when God made the world, he started with chaos, a mess without form and void and clothed in darkness. If your life is like that, take courage. God wants to create something beautiful once more. We spoke to you, friends, about the picture of the laughing jackass of Australia. The laughing jackass in the painting over the carcass of a dead kangaroo. Do the heavens laugh over our sufferings? No, indeed. It was the hand which guides the universe which was nailed to the cross for us. The saviour of men was not a laughing jackass, but a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's why we can be sure today that he understands precisely our troubles and frustrations, even yours, my friend. When he began his ministry, he offered the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of gloom. He offered good news for all in bondage to doubt, guilt, sorrow, pain or fear. This we illustrated by the New Testament story of the runaway slave Anisimus, for whom Paul interceded, willing to take the debt upon himself. Christ pleads similarly for each one of us. He says, If, Father, he or she has wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account, and receive him or receive her as myself. That, my friends, is the good news in essence. Good news unlimited. That God can take us runaways, who've stolen from his glory and prostituted his gifts, he can take us and for Christ's sake treat us as his own son. Good news indeed. It speaks of a mercy as infinite as God's wisdom. Ever thought of that, my friends? You believe God's wisdom is without measure, that his power is infinite, but do you believe that his mercy is also infinite? It is. It's enough for you and for me at our worst. God's love is so great it takes a universe to hold it and it will take an eternity to unfold it. If you, my friend, will choose to believe in that love, you'll be secure from all the buffetings of life. Those buffetings will become trade winds hastening your bark toward the eternal haven of God in heaven. You'll learn to sing here and now. You'll know that nightmares need not linger. Today we wish to illustrate by another story the unlimited good news. This time we draw from a narrative written centuries before the Christian era. Try to picture the man that I see in my mind's eye. Because of his long beard, He looks like a dirty, bedraggled, emaciated Father Christmas. He's crouching in the corner of a stone dungeon which is dark and dank. His beard reaches to his waist and minute forms of life play in it. His clothes are filthy and ragged. Far from being stout, he's just a skeleton, draped with skin. How long's he been there? A year? No. Five years? No. Ten? No. Twenty? No. 
30, 35. No, but 37 years. Imagine it, my friends. Those who'd been old when he'd been taken to prison were now dead. Those who'd been middle-aged were now old. Those who'd been young were middle-aged. And he'd been there 37 years. His was a nightmare that seemed an eternity. But one day it came to a sudden stop. He heard the prison guard coming down the corridor as usual, and yet not as usual. He was walking differently. Faster, as with a purpose. And this time, instead of just pushing through some crusts and a pannikin of water through the hole in the door, this time he opened it. The door creaked open. The guard entered and said, There's a new king on the throne. He wants to see you. Get up. He lifted up the old bag of bones and half carried, half drove, half led the old prisoner down the long stone corridor into the blaze of the outside sunshine and then into the palace with its luxurious carpets. Finally, the strange couple entered the glorious throne room. Upon the throne was a richly garbed king and the old prisoner's blurred vision looked at the man from whom he expected a death sentence. Now the story is told in the second book of Kings. And I'm reading it to you from the last chapter and the 27th verse. Listen to it as told in Scripture. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin king of Judah, in the twelfth month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put off his prison garments. And every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king, every day a portion, as long as he lived. Did you know, my friends, that that same story is told almost word for word in another book of scripture? God must consider it important. See if you can find where it is. Why is it there at all? There's more space given to it than to any of the great battles of the day. Though a historical account the story's a little parable as well. That man, all dirty, discouraged, weak and dying, that man who'd been a king and a rebel and who was a prisoner, he represents me. He represents you. He'd been a king. And you and I, my friends, were made to be kings and queens in the beginning. God told man to have dominion over the earth, to rule it and subdue it. We are meant to be kings and queens. Instead, we have become prisoners of the dominions in which we were placed. We were made for great things. Our tragedies reveal our potential. Have you ever wondered why it is that only human creatures get bored 
or commit suicide? The human heart is bigger than the world, my friends. The scripture says he's put eternity in their hearts. We were made for God. And nothing else will do. This king became a rebel. He rebelled against his overlord, a greater king. And that's what we did to God. Adam did it to start with. And we inherited the rebellion and we've kept it up. Originally, man was God-centered. But when man disobeyed God, he became self-centered. As recorded in scripture, his first words are, I was afraid and hid myself. Self-centered indeed. Thinking now only of himself. And of course, that's the essence of evil. You and I are inclined to think of the disreputable things when we think of sin. We think of licentiousness and adultery. But selfishness is the essence of sin. Self-centeredness. Because that's rebellion against our true Lord and King. We are made for God. He's meant to rule on our hearts. He's meant to be there on the throne. My friends, we need to confess that we are rebels before we can ever make a prison break. Before we can get out of the mess in which we were born, we must acknowledge our rebellion. Since we each stand in a personal relationship to God, all our imperfections, all our faults, all our negligences, all our shortcomings and transgressions of morality or of the higher aspirations of our lives, all of these are sins, infinite sins, because they're done against an infinite being. Everything we do has a reference to God because we belong to him. He sustains us. You remember that David on one occasion wrote, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. That's what he wrote after his adultery with Bathsheba. And I guess David had accumulated as many offences to as many people in one deed as was possible. He had transgressed as king, as friend, as captain, as husband. And yet he could write, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. My friends, we need to see ourselves in old King Jehoiachin. Born kings in God's ideal plan, but we've become rebels. And that's why life is often so messy and so tragic. Note that rebellion leads to imprisonment. The reason we want to make a prison break is because life is not what any of us want it to be. Sin is imprisonment. It's offered to us as freedom. But sin is always a deceiver, my friends. It never brings profit. Our Lord said, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin, the slave of sin. When we try to break off our sins, then we find it out. We're the slaves of our own passions. And it began so simply. The tempter came, he said, come, do this thing, just for once. You can leave it off when you like, no need to do it a second time. But once we've done it, he changes his note and says, ah, now you're in. And you can't get out. You've done it once. And in my vocabulary, once means twice. And twice means always. 
That's why it is, my friends, that when our Lord Jesus came to this world in his first sermon at Nazareth, he said he'd come to preach deliverance to the captives, come to proclaim the year of liberty, the opening of the prison house to them that are bound. He is speaking to you and me. But there's no escape until we realise how bad our position actually is. Just as an alcoholic can never find help until he confesses his helplessness. So it is with each one of us. It is only the sick that seek the physician. Christ came for the lost. Those with a sensed need, my friends. Let me read you another passage of scripture. In the book of Galatians, in chapter 3, verses 22 to 24, we read a little more about the prison into which we were all born and where we've chosen to stay, for the most part. Galatians 3.22, forward. But the scripture has consigned all things to sin, that what was promised to faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before faith came, we were confined under the law, kept under restraint, as the prison, until faith should be revealed. The law was our custodian until Christ came. That we might be justified by faith. Please, my friends, notice three things in this passage. It refers to the prison house into which we've all been restrained and confined and consigned. And the guardian of the prison house is the law of God. That sentences us as rebels. But there's also a breaker, a breaker of our imprisonment, a deliverer from our confinement. The passage speaks about Jesus Christ. Well, let's think on the first one, the prison house. As we said, all sin is imprisonment. All men are in that dungeon by nature. Sin offers freedom, but it's like the freedom of a tree freed from the earth, freedom to die. We're all guilty, my friends. No deed that we do, however it may fade from the tablets of our memory, but writes invisible characters in proportion to its magnitude upon our characters and lives. All human acts have perpetual consequences. The kick of the rifle against the shoulder of the man that fires it is as certain as the flight of the bullet from its muzzle. The chalk cliffs that rise above the English Channel entomb and perpetuate the relics of myriads of evanescent lives. And our fleeting deeds are similarly preserved in our present selves. Everything that a person wills, whether it passes into external act or not, leaves in its measure ineffaceable impressions upon him. Have you noticed, friends, that the Bible does not charge men universally with gross transgressions? Most of us lack the courage to do the great sins, but the little ones of irritability, of selfishness, of carelessness, they're just as deadly or more so. Ants, my friends, in an African desert can pick a body as clean or cleaner than any lion. The little things, they can be the worst ones. They're respectable, delicious, and we seem to get by with them. But they bring death. They shut us up in prison. A prison of selfishness, guilt, condemnation. 
Our own hearts tell us that no man is or has been, does or has done, that which his own conscience tells him he should have been and done. So we've spoken about the prison house. We all belong there by nature and there's no difference. No difference, my friends. The Empire State Building seems very high compared to a chicken coop. But suppose you're a cosmonaut and look down, you wouldn't see any difference. And so there are some men in this world that seem to tower over others by their ethics. But in the sight of God, our Maker, all are unclean. All are guilty. And conscience tells us the same story. Look at the guardian of the prison. The law. The law of scripture. The great purpose of the law is to convince us of our need. Can't save anybody. Can't forgive anybody. But it condemns us all. We need the conviction. There has to be some external standard by which men may be convinced of their need. Conscience isn't enough. Conscience is only you judging on moral questions. And of course, as you change, it will change also. A man's whole state determines the voice with which conscience shall speak to him. And so the worse he is, and the more he needs it, the less he has it. The rebels cut the telegraph wires, and a man makes his conscience dumb by the very sins that require a conscience, trumpet tongue, to reprehend them. It's necessary that God should speak from heaven and say to us, Thou art the man. Deceit lurks in generalities. Most of us are perfectly willing to admit that all are sinful. But I must admit that I am sinful and a captive. And so, my dear radio friends, see in Jehoiach in a picture of yourself as I must see in him my picture. Think how helpless he was. He had no power to escape. He had no strength. The Bible says the heart's desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? It says that it's easier for a leopard to change his spots than for a man to get rid of his own sins. Acknowledging it, my friend, acknowledging the difficulty, as no doubt you do and as I do in times of quiet. Do you want to make a prison break? Do you want to get out? Can't be done by human power. Our passions control us. Our temperaments rule us. We mainly react rather than act. We've blown it many a time. Jehoiachin could have worked his brain and his fingers day and night. but wouldn't have availed anything. Deliverance doesn't come that way, my friends. Deliverance from the prison house of our selfishness only comes by hearing God's message of good news the unlimited good news of the gospel. If I could only burn into your hearts what God is trying to say to you, you, my friends, this very morning. I read to you from the Living Bible translation of Romans 3. How wonderful are these words. Listen from Romans 3.20. Now, do you see it? No one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what the law commands. For the more we know of God's laws, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying them. His laws serve only to make us see that we are sinners. But now God has shown us a different way to heaven. Not by being good enough and trying to keep his laws, 
but by a new way. They're not new really, for the scriptures told about it long ago. Now God says he'll accept and acquit us, declare us not guilty, if we trust Jesus Christ. We can all be saved in the same way by coming to Christ, no matter who we are or what we've been like. Yes, all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious ideal. Yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust in Jesus Christ, who in his kindness freely takes away our sins. For God sent Jesus Christ to take the punishment for our sins and to end all God's anger against us. He used Christ's blood and our faith as the means of saving us from his wrath. Wonderful words, my friends. They tell us the way of salvation, not by doing, but by believing. News is about what someone else has done. Something done. The gospel isn't saying do, do, do. The gospel is about something done. Finished. Finished 2,000 years ago. What was finished? Your redemption, my friends. Your deliverance. The forgiveness of your sins. 2,000 years ago it was accomplished. So in Ephesians 2, in verses 8 and onwards, I read, by grace you have been saved. We were saved 20 centuries ago, my friend. Believe the news and receive it. Back to the text. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not because of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. There it is, my friends. By grace, through faith. It's the merits of Christ that save us. We're saved by works, true enough. But not our works. Christ's works. He's the only one that had perfect works. The law is a perfect standard, but it's a terrible method. Don't depend on your good deeds of obedience to save your soul. Believe on Christ's perfect life and his atoning death. That's the only way. Let me read you another scripture. I'm reading from Titus 3, verse 3 onwards. <clears throat> we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by men and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of deeds done by us in righteousness, but in virtue of his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit, which he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that we might be justified by his grace. My friends, do you know what justified means? It means justified, not sinned. God looks upon us as though we were as sinless as his own son. For Christ's sake, we are accepted. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Murder, adultery, theft, hatred, irritability, anger, sloth, gluttony, impurity. My friends, our Lord Jesus bore the penalty of all that on Calvary's cross. And seeing he has borne it, we need not bear it. Believe that, and the prison walls are thrown down. 
We mustn't think that we are to become good to come to God. My friends, the gospel is that you come just as you are. That's how people were healed in gospel days. The blind man didn't work at getting his sight back and then go to Jesus when he thought he was on the way. The leper didn't try to cleanse his leprosy and then come. You come just as you are and God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. You can be just in doing it because the penalty of your sins has been paid. That's it, my friends. That's it. I want you to think on the prison breaker, thing we can't break out ourselves. I want you to think upon Christ. In the story of Jehoiachin, the king on the throne spoke kindly to the old prisoner. He'd expected a word of condemnation that they couldn't support him any more from government funds. They're going to cut his head off. But it says that the king spoke kindly to him. That's what our Lord does to us. He says, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. He that cometh to me I'll in no wise cast out. Whosoever will may come, and I'll never leave you nor forsake you. My friends, our Saviour attends the funeral of every sparrow. He counts the hairs of our head. If there'd only been one of us, he'd have died for that one. And it is he who invites us. Whosoever will may come. By grace you are saved through faith. No merit in the faith, it just links us to Jesus. It's the hand that accepts the gift. My friends, did you notice what happened to the Jehoiachin? They washed him, they cleansed him, they clothed him afresh. And then he was sustained day by day at the king's table. He was made a king again. He was given back his freedom. Christ is our king that lifts us out of the dungeon. He's our deliverer king. There was once a Roman emperor who wished that all his enemies had one neck, that he might slay them all at one blow. That wish is a fact in regard to Christ and his work, for by it all our tyrants have been smitten to death by one stroke. The death of Jesus Christ has been the death of sin and death, the death of death and hell, of sin and its power, its guilt and its penalty. He's come into the prison house and torn the bars away and opened the fetters, and every man may, if he will, come out into the blessed sunshine and revel therein. The only thing, radio friends, that we have to do, the only thing you have to do, the only thing I need to do, is to recognise and feel our bound impotence, to stretch out chained hands and take the gift that he brings. Since all is done for each of us, since none of us can do sufficient for himself to break the bond, and what we should do is to trust to him who's broken every chain and let the oppressed go free. See the cross, my friend, and then a great light will shine in your prison house and your chains will drop from your wrists. The iron door will open of its own accord. You'll emerge into the morning sunshine of a new day because you've confessed and abhorred the bondage into which we've cast ourselves, because you've accepted the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. 